0: It's a story that has been more than three years in the making, it's, yet it's a story that only we have been talking about publicly, but not any longer. The Competition and Markets Authority has finally released the provisional findings of a three-year investigation into alleged collusion within the UK demolition sector. <clears throat> the CMA has provisionally found that 10 companies illegally colluded to rig bids for demolition and asbestos contracts. All 10 were members of the National Federation of Demolition Contractors at the time, although one has since departed. Eight of the companies involved have admitted participation in bid rigging, while two more have not admitted their involvement. The CMA says that it should not be assumed that those two have broken the law. So, what are the details? Following an investigation launched in 2019, the Competition and Markets Authority, or the CMA, has provisionally concluded that the firms colluded on prices through illegal cartel agreements when submitting bids in competitive tender for contracts. These bids were rigged with the deliberate intention of deceiving the customer that they were competitive when that was not the case. The bids were rigged by one or more construction firms which agreed to submit bids that were deliberately priced to lose the tender. This practice is known as cover bidding and it can result in customers paying higher prices or receiving lower quality services. The CMA is proposing to impose fines on the businesses concerned if it reaches a final decision confirming that they have broken the law. In addition, the CMA has provisionally found that seven of the firms, on at least one occasion each, sorry, were involved in arrangements by which the designated losers of the contracts were set to be compensated by the winner. The value of this compensation varied but was higher than £500,000 in one instance. The CMA has provisionally found that the collusion affected 19 contracts for demolition work in London and the Midlands, including contracts for the development of Bow Street's Magistrates Court and Police Station as well, Metropolitan Police Training Centre, Selfridges, Oxford University, shopping centres in Reading and Taplow, and offices on the South Bank in London. Not all of the firms involved in colluding in each of these contracts, and not every contractor who submitted a bid for these contracts was involved in the alleged collusion. Eight of the firms have, however, admitted their involvement in at least one instance of bid rigging between January 2013 and June 2018. Those eight firms are Brown & Mason, Cantillon, Clifford Devlin, DSM, John F. Hunt, Keltbray, McGee, and Scudder. Two other firms, Erith uh, Erith Group and Squib Group, have not admitted their involvement in any bid rigging. And according to the CMA, it should not be assumed that they have broken the law. As we reported on Friday last week, The Competition and Markets Authority has released the provisional findings of its three-year investigation into bid rigging and price fixing within the UK demolition industry. A total of 10 companies, all of them members of the National Federation of Demolition Contractors, have been named by the CMA and eight have admitted involvement. Those eight are Brown & Mason, Cantalon, Clifford Devlin, DSM, John F. Hunt, Kelpbray, McGee and Scudder. Both Ereth, group, uh, both Ereth Group and Squib Group are also named by the CMA but have not admitted any involvement And the CMA, stresses that it should, be, should not be assumed that they have broken the law. Within minutes of the CMA announcement, the once good name of the the demolition industry was being dragged through the media mud. The UK demolition industry has not made so many TV and newspaper headlines since February 2016 and the death of four demolition workers at the Didcot A power station. But while the eight companies that have admitted guilt await their fate and the imposition of potentially mammoth financial penalties, the wider demolition industry will be more focused upon the likely fallout from the initial explosion. The first to feel the effects should be the National Federation of Demolition Contractors, which counts all 10 companies implicated in the investigation among its membership Now, prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, estimates suggested that there was between 550 and 600 demolition companies active in the UK. The NFDC has a membership of around 145 corporate members. The fact that the NFDC accounts for around 25% of all demolition companies, but 100% of all those implicated in the CMA investigation should surely raise further questions. Furthermore, the companies named by the CMA include those of two uh, NFTC Honorary Life Vice Presidents, one of them the immediate past president who now sits on the board of the CITB. The Federation issued a hollow statement on Friday that spoke of codes of conduct but that made no mention of reprimand or sanction for those that have brought the industry into disrepute. And if the optics were not already bad enough, it's worth noting that the NFDC will soon be packing its buckets and spades before heading to, of all places, Monte Carlo for its annual convention. Regardless of whether those mining in the CMA probe will be in in attendance, this will surely be seen as the NFDC thumbing its nose at the authorities while it seeks to preserve its membership. Now, it's virtually impossible to place a positive spin on this situation, particularly for those contractors and trade bodies that have taken the full force of the CMA blast. But if you look hard enough, there is a faint light at the end of this this especially long and dark tunnel. For one thing, those companies that have operated in the shadow of the larger companies implicated in the CMA investigation now have a chance to shine. The stench of collusion will stick to any contractors that are ultimately prosecuted and fined, and they will likely find it more difficult to make it onto tender lists. That could work to the advantage of those many superb companies that have been kept waiting in the industry wings. And there's another positive, if you look hard enough. The industry now has an opportunity to start afresh, to make sweeping changes to tear down established structures and practices and to create a transparent post-CMA industry of which we can all once again be proud. Now, it won't be easy and any such suggestion will be met with resistance from the industry's old guard. The same old guard that was at the helm when the alleged price fixing was taking place. The same old guard that remains in place while the industry's reputation is picked over like so much carrion. The demolition sector has the opportunity to build back better, to reform and renew, and to create a sector that is befitting the modern age. But it will never do so, employing the systems, procedures, structures and people that led us unwittingly to this watershed moment in the industry's history. McGee Group has become the latest demolition company to reveal the size of the provision it's made for any fines that might arise from the Competition and Markets Authority probe into bid rigging and price fixing within the demolition industry. The company has revealed that it has set aside £2.4 million to cover the financial cost arising from its involvement in a bid rigging probe by the cartel busting watchdog. In the latest company accounts, McGee said that the provision taken in 2020 would cover an expected penalty from the CMA investigation into cover pricing in the demolition sector. The CMA announced last week that McGee was one of 10 firms provisionally found to illegally have colluded in bid, rig- bid rigging for demolition and asbestos removal contracts. You may recall that we recently reported that Kelpray had made a six million pound provision while Carey Group had set aside nine million pounds. Now, speaking of the CMA investigation, let's face, let's face it. I think about precious little else at the moment. Um, yesterday, we asked our readers, viewers, followers and subscribers to let, them, let us have their thoughts on the CMA Pro. And people were more than happy to share their opinions. Here are just some of the comments that we received. Uh, glad you said what us small NFTC members were all thinking. Maybe if the NFTC don't boot the 8 or potential 10, the other 140 remaining companies should leave. I don't remember reading price fixing as one of the ethical principles. Do the individuals also forfeit their IDE memberships for partaking? Good question. Wonder if these big 8 to 10 will also lose their local authority and government contracts due to this. Uh, another good question. Uh, we are not an NFDC NFDc member and because of this we have missed out on a number of tender opportunities when you read of the collusion inside the nfdc you question the value of nfdc membership why does the public sector continue to mandate nfdc as a requirement for government contracts the industry needs to change One day, we will become a member of the NFDC, but only when it is able to demonstrate the offending companies and individuals are reprimanded and the NFDC brand represents integrity in the demolition industry." Here's another one. Uh, if any are proven guilty of being involved, there should be a similar system put into place as in sports when caught doping. Yes, a fine is used, but realistically, how much does that affect the larger companies? Not really, if we're being honest. Whereas a five-year ban on tendering or having any involvement with any project funded by the government, council, taxpayers' money would hurt them more and be a warning to others. As for the NFTC, who love an investigation that suits their needs when and where, unfortunately, transparency isn't in their vocabulary. So it won't hold I won't hold my breath on any conviction their side. Most interested to see how the NFTC responds, Mark. Genuinely don't see how those implicated can remain members without the Federation and losing credibility. Absolutely shocking, reads another one. NFTC has no balls, then, to be honest. Happy to reap the rewards of a monopoly federation. Uh, We have lots of we've had lots of clients call and say they knew we would never be part of that and that we should look forward to the further uh, uh, the further elevation in the tier one contractors league. It's an interesting one. Uh, I'm not at all interested in it in the NFDC's response, but I am interested in the response from the major contractors that insist upon NFDC membership. Now, all of this has been laid bare. I've just read an article on fraud in the UK construction industry, and to quote, it's an industry where the few bad apples that are determined to commit fraud have an easier time getting away with it. This is largely because of the very nature of the work. The average construction project is a study of controlled chaos. It depends on whether any criminality is proven to have occurred, but even without that being the case, surely those that have accepted their fate must have breached the financial upstanding requirements by playing their part. Should make for an interesting NFDC meeting next time they meet. I'd imagine. You're damn right. Um, all this money that's being set aside for fines, I'd like to know where it's come from. Good, <laughs> another good question. Um, and our final one, I think, of the day: uh, NFDC, National Federation of Demolition Colluders. Yeah, just to be absolutely 100% clear, I haven't made any of those up. Um, I have not used the names of those uh, that made the comments purely to protect them from any potential backlash. Now, I'm about to tell you a story that will almost certainly see me removed permanently from the Christmas card list of at least a few people. But hey, we've come this far. In for a penny, in for a pound, right? Before I begin today's tale of woe, I would like you all to fix two things in your mind. I'd like you to remember that EGM stands for Extraordinary General Meeting, and I'd like you to remember the name Gary Bishop. Both of those things are going uh, going to be relevant a little bit later in this story. Now, I said before uh, yesterday, actually, I said I I was hoping that today's show would not contain any reference to the Competition and Markets Authority investigation into bid rigging and price fixing within the UK demolition industry, and I said it with the very best of intentions, but I took a phone call from an old industry friend uh, yesterday, immediately after the show, and he reminded me of a piece of the jigsaw that I've so far been overlooking. So, to set that right, here we go. So, about a decade ago, when I was still the press officer for the National Federation of Demolition Contractors, the NFDC called an Extraordinary General Meeting, EGM, for one of the first times in the Federation's then 70-year history. That EGM was held at the JCB World Headquarters up in Utoxita, and it was held to address what I described at the time as member apathy. There was a feeling among the officer ranks that not enough people were attending regional and national meetings, that too many NFDC members only wanted the badge on their website but were unwilling to actually play an active role. Now, fast forward about seven years from then, and the NFDC held another extraordinary general meeting. On that occasion, the EGM was held in Birmingham. I wasn't invited to that one. In fact, members were actually warned against speaking to me about the meeting because, well, you know, I'm a journalist and I report facts, Uh, that EGM was held with the express intention of ousting the then incumbent president, Paul Brown. It proved unsuccessful, as Paul Brown had a lot more support than some had realised, but the knives were unquestionably out, and much like the survivors in the Final Destination movies, the end for Paul Brown was inevitable. A few months later, he was removed from his post in a mat- in a manner befitting neither the Office of President nor the Federation itself. Now, the obvious link here is that if a few poorly attended meetings and a president who was a bit too straight-talking for some people's tastes were enough to trigger an EGM, you might have thought that a huge and growing collusion crisis would have triggered another. Apparently not. Well, not yet, at least. But there is another unseen link that binds together those two previous EGMs. The incumbent president at the time of the first EGM was Gary Bishop. In my head, at least, uh, his presidency is memorable only because he he held an EGM to address member apathy. But keep that name in mind. The ugly and unnecessary ousting of Paul Brown as president had far-reaching consequences that those at the NFDC top table had failed to predict. Having failed to oust him through a member vote, they ultimately forced him out because for a very brief period he wasn't employed by an NFDC member. But that had a knock-on effect. Next in line for the presidency of the NFDC, through the usual rules of succession, was Martin O'Donnell of KDC Contractors, an honourable man who would have been made an absolutely top-notch president. But just as it appeared that Martin O'Donnell would be next in line as NFDC president, KDC Contractors was acquired by waste management giant, Veolia, which then meant, like Paul Brown before him, Martin O'Donnell was not employed by an NFDC member. Martin O'Donnell stepped aside in a manner that says much for the dignity of a man who was robbed of the NFDC presidency that he so richly deserved by nothing more than happenstance and a lack of foresight. He was, in my opinion at least, the most presidential president the NFDC never had. And his departure left a void. So after uh, past president David Keane returned for a short time to steady the ship, the immediate past president, Holly Price, took over the hot seat before handing over the reins to the current president, William Crooks. Now, I realize all this sounds like a particularly complex family tree, but I promise there is a point to all of this. Having limited the reign of one thoroughly deserving president and having swerved a second equally deserving president entirely in the past three years, we now find ourselves roughly 10 months away from the arrival of a new president. That new president will likely inherit the very worst of the CMA shitstorm that has only just made landfall. By the time that new president... As the chains of office are placed around his neck, we will know the level of fines imposed by the CMA. We will probably know the thoughts of Build UK and the CITB on the whole sorry business. We will have felt the backlash from those clients impacted directly uh, by the bid rigging and from those that will be seeking to avoid a similar fate. And we will likely know the names of any individuals that have received director bans. So when all of that comes home to roost, Who is next in line? Who will be that new president? Yep, you guessed it. Gary Bishop. The same Gary Bishop that presided over the NFDC's worst period of member apathy. The same Gary Bishop who was the subject of a poison pen letter campaign calling for his resignation back in March of last year. Uh, Just as an aside, while I am actually tired of saying it, No. I didn't write the letter. I don't need the protection of an anonymous letter written partially in Latin. I will tell you right here, to your face, I served as a press officer for under four NFDC presidents. In my opinion, it is my opinion, in my opinion, Gary Bishop was the worst by a considerable distance. And from all I heard, he was no better during his presidency of the IDE either. So... When William Crook's tenure comes to an end, what the NFDC will need is a president with the ability to unite members and to engage with them. Instead, it appears to be headed for a president that has already been the target of one ousting campaign, a man who failed to engage the federation membership before and will likely do so again. What the NFDC needs even more desperately is a president with fresh ideas and a fresh perspective. What they look set to get is a second time around president who brings with him more than a decade of baggage and intellectual intransigence. Anybody else think we might be about to have another EGM? next time you're having a bad week, Spear of thought for the National Federation of Demolition Contractors. We are now seven days into a seemingly unending avalanche of crap that has engulfed the NFDC and that could yet bury it entirely. And the latest news turd to plop down upon the already heavily stained head of the NFDC is that another high-profile mem- member, John F. Hunt, has set aside £5.6 million to cover the cost of fines it anticipates in relation to its admitted involvement in the bid rigging scandal. With only four of the eight NFDC members that have admitted involvement having revealed their individual provisions, the current cumulative total already stands at an eye-watering £23 million. The level of shame and ignominy that this brings upon the demolition sector in general and upon the NFDC frankly, is rather more difficult to measure. In its latest report and accounts for the year to March 2021, uh, which were filed at the end of last month, John F. Hunt said it had set aside £5.6 million for a matter relating to isolated historic regulatory breaches. That is believed to be a reference to the bid rigging probe. The company said the investigations have now been settled with the liability agreed at £5.6 million, payment of which has yet to be finalised. Interestingly, uh, John F. Hunt currently has two member, membership listings on the NFDC website. The first in the name of, of John F. Hunt Limited, the second in the name of John F. Hunt Regeneration. And it is the second of those that won a place on the £1.1 billion demolition and land remediation Pagabo framework just a few weeks ago. Would you like some mint sauce with that sacrificial lamb, sir? Meanwhile, Erith Group, one of the two NFDC members contesting the CMA findings, said it was the subject of two ongoing regulatory investigations of its own. One was a fatal accident and what it is referred to as a regulatory thank you, investigation. The company says the outcome of both matters are considered to be undeterminable at the time. and the Directors have therefore made no provision in these financial statements for any costs arising from this matter. Okay, before we get back to the unravelling of the CMA investigation and the unedifying unravelling of the National uh, Federation of Demolition Contractors as a body of any credibility, I would like to share with you a very brief recent American history lesson. I'd like to see if you two can draw any parallels between former President Donald Trump and the upper echelons of the NFDC, or if I'm just being even more cynical than usual. President Donald Trump appointed more than 200 federal judges in his four-year tenure. That's more than his predecessor, uh, Barack Obama, appointed in his eight-year stay at the White House. Trump also appointed three Supreme Court justices during his time in office, the most since Ronald Reagan in the 1980s and the highest number of any single-term president since, uh, since Herbert Hoover in the 1920s. With the benefit of hindsight, it appears that all those judges were appointed so that even if he was impeached or found guilty of inciting the insurrection on the 6th of January 2021, he would not face the full force of the law. Sadly, at the same time, this skewed the US judiciary so far to the right that they make Hitler look like a big soft liberal. That is why women across the US now face the very real prospect of jail if they have an abortion even if they require that abortion because they were the victim of a rape. It's also why each new school shooting is greeted not with tighter gun controls, but with calls to arm teachers. Okay, here endeth the, the history lesson. So what has all that got to do with all things NFDC and CMA? Well... Donald Trump's campaign to cover his over-large backside by surrounding himself with like-minded individuals is torn straight from the NFDC officer playbook. That's why none of the eight companies that have admitted involvement in the bid-rigging scandal uncovered by the CMA have been shoved out the resurgent house exit. It's also why so many of the Federation's senior officers pass seamlessly from one top job to another. They're the president of the NFDC one year, they're the president of the National Demolition Training Group a year after, and the majority seem to eventually pitch up as president of the Institute of Demolition Engineers at some point too. Now, don't get me wrong, some of those that have taken on some or all of those senior roles did so with the very, very best intentions. Some had a vision for the industry, and it took two or more senior roles for them to try to fulfill that vision. Sadly, just as many have passed from one top job to another because they were allowed to do so by the team they had built around them. And even more sadly, some took on multiple top jobs because the only thing they like more than chains of office is a free lunch and a free stay at a top London hotel at the expense of fee-paying members. All of that backside covering and behind-the-scenes political manoeuvring has rendered Joe Biden, on paper the most powerful man in the world, largely unable to enact legislation of his own, or to block changes to anti-abortion laws that have pushed back US women's rights by about a hundred years. That same house covering means that those NFDC members that have admitted involvement in bid rigging cannot be expelled because seemingly, they have friends in high places. And there is just one final parallel I'd like to draw. Well, at least for now anyway. Because of all that historic manoeuvring, there is a very real possibility that Donald Trump may yet run again for the Presidency. The most divisive and regressive US President in living memory might get a second shot at the job, despite all his transgressions. And it currently appears just as likely that the NFDC will also elect a former President for a second shot at the top job, even though he too was divisive the first time around, and even though he remains... Deeply, deeply regressive. Machiavellian much? The CMA Files is a Demolition News production. It was written and narrated by Mark Antony. We hope you enjoyed this episode.